Hello, I'm Ken Record, and I welcome you back to Mining uh, Biblical Truth. I want to take a moment to uh, say uh, thank you uh, to our subscribers um, who have transferred over from our old uh, YouTube channel and website to the uh, the new ones. Uh, we uh, appreciate your loyalty and your uh, attention and uh, just want to also encourage you to reach out to us either directly on YouTube by making comments uh, sharing something uh, from the study that interests you or you have a question about or um, contacting us uh, through the website um, at email address if you have a, a private comment, we would love to hear from you, especially if you're from a foreign country. We'd love to hear how this ministry may be impacting you. Uh, on the website, uh, you'll find additional uh, materials uh, of the slides of these presentations, plus uh, PDFs of some of the more detailed uh, uh, information. And when you go to that page, you'll see a list here. And although these are all PDFs, the ones that are uh, marked with PDF in the name are the additional um, uh, graphics and the ones marked PP are the slides. So let's get to this week's Digging Deeper 13 on the wonderful book of Amos, which I'm calling Injustice. Amos, the line of Judah, roars in Bethel, and the earth trembles. We'll see why I summarize it that way. In the transition from Jonah to Amos, God uses Jonah of Israel to threaten Nineveh of Assyria for their cruelty and injustice. And God uses Amos of Judah to threaten Israel for its injustice. But the question is, who listened? For both Israel and Assyria, God will withhold punishment, but eventually destroy them. Ironically, using Assyria to destroy Israel. We learned uh, that uh, a true prophet was a true prophet if his prophecy came true. Uh, there is a clue in Amos regarding when his prophecy would be confirmed. Amos 8a, because of uh, this, uh, will not the land quake and everyone mourn? Uh, Amos prophesied two years before the earthquake, according to chapter 1, verse 1, which is well documented and other sources to have occurred in 760 B.C. So we have a definite date of 762 B.C. for this prophecy. The significance of 40, both Jonah and Amos. God gives Nineveh 40 days to repent, but they do so within three days. God does not give Israel a deadline, but it turns out to be about 40 years. 14,600 days later, they still haven't repented when they go into exile. So Amos prophesied in 762 B.C. based on reference of two years before the earthquake. Um, and Israel was taken to captive in 722 B.C., 40 years later. 
Zechariah 14.5 confirms the earthquake occurring during the reign of Uzziah for additional biblical reference. Of course, uh, the number 40 has great significance uh, in the Bible, particularly in regard to testing. Uh, 40 days in the wilderness for the testing of Jesus, 40 years in the Exodus for Israel, Moses on Sinai for 40 days, uh, during which Israel was tested. Uh, Goliath taunts Israel for 40 days. Judges with 40-year tenures were Abdon and Eli. Kings who reigned for 40 years, Saul, David, Solomon, and Joash. And Elijah to Sinai uh, took a 40 days for the trip. Uh, Jesus remains 40 days on earth post-resurrection, testing his disciples. So our challenge question uh, for this week was, what is the symbolism of fatted cows of Bashan in Amos 4, verse 1? Bashan was the territory of northeast Israel, including Mount uh, Hermon and the Golan Heights. King Og of Bashan was a giant, one of the notorious Nephilim. In ancient Mideast cultures, it was considered a portal to the underworld of supernatural beings. When Jesus declared war with Satan, he did so at caves at the base of Mount Hermon. On the cross, Jesus described himself as surrounded by bulls of Bashan. So cows of Bashan would be women who were engaged in the work of the devil. The bonus question we had was, what well-known 20th century American thought leader famously quoted Amos 524? And the answer is Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. Amos 524, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Things we learned about uh, Amos uh, were that he had uh, two professions. Uh, one is a dresser of sycamore figs, um, which are shown here uh, in the picture. Uh, these are very small in size. They were considered the poor man's fig and often used for cattle feed. This may connect to uh, uh, the description of Amos by an uncommon Hebrew term that may mean an animal breeder or a cow herder. So based on his two professions, he probably was not poor, but no indication either that he was rich. He was obedient. Uh, he had, there's no mention of him arguing with the Lord over his ability or his willingness to, to go and preach uh, uh, to uh, Israel. Um, it's another example of God calling the least likely. Uh, it would be like uh, Amos in recent history was the question that that this led me to. Who, who's God calling um, uh, more recently in past history uh, who seemed unlikely? And this led me uh, down a road to uh, a man named Billy Sunday, who lived from 1862 to 1935, uh, who became um, one of the early roving tent revivalists of the 20th century. Uh, he was uh, originally a, a baseball player for about uh, 10 years in the late 1800s. Uh, 
And he's been often referred to as the Billy Graham of his era because he's estimated to have preached to over 300,000 people. <laughs> Talk about your followings. He was a humble lay preacher. He had no uh, um, uh, special training. Uh, Attempt-based evangelist who spoke the truth to common people using common language. He said, I want to preach the gospel so plainly that men can come from the factories and not have to bring a dictionary. I like that. Like Amos, he spoke out uh, for women's rights against child labor and welcomed blacks, Jews, and Roman Catholics to his revivals. He was part of a chain of evangelists, going back to Ed Kimball, a shoe salesman, who converted D.L. Moody, who's also a shoe salesman, and he converted Billy Sunday. And Sunday inspired Pastor Fred Meyer to become an itinerant tent preacher, who inspired Wilbur Chapman, who inspired Mordecai Ham, who converted Billy Graham. So the two Billies are actually connected. So getting back to our theme of injustice. In a time of relative peace and prosperity, the people become their own worst enemy by mistreating their brothers and sisters. J.A. Montier uh, describes it as follows. Affluence, exploitation, and the profit motive were the most notable features. Standards had gone to pot. Authority and rule of law were despised and national leadership seemed to be contributing to the complete breakdown of law and order. Does it sound familiar? Going on to the chiastic structure, uh, Amos, we're looking at the overview here, and we can see that uh, the center, uh, which is the, the main message, is a call to repentance and a lament in chapter five. This is the same uh, center, by the way, uh, that occurs in the books of Joel and Hosea, contemporaries uh, of Amos. This is bracketed on either side by the condemnation of the wealthy Israelite women for empty religious activity in chapter four, and, and on the other side, condemnation of the wealthy Israelite men Further empty religious activity in 518 to 614. And that in turn is bracketed by the prophet's compulsion, which is the coming destruction of Israel and Bethel's cult center, where he says, When Yahweh speaks, prophets must prophesy, and is followed by prophet's compulsion in chapter 7, early chapter 8, visions of coming judgment announced at Bethel Cult Center. Yahweh has spoken, therefore, Amos prophecies. And at the beginning, we have the coming judgment on Israel and neighbor nations, which is a sevenfold condemnation of the uh, wealthy, inescapable judgment and an Exodus theme. And at the end, we have the coming judgment of Israel scattered among the nations and their future restoration also a sevenfold combination of the wealthy and the same themes. Uh, in chapter three, 
uh, subtitled Yahweh will punish. At the center we have Israel does not know how to do right. And that's bracketed by foreign fortresses called to assemble against the mountains of Syria and foreign fortresses and strongholds will be destroyed in 311. And then the coming disaster declared by the prophets in 3, 3-8 and the coming of near total disaster in 3-12, both of which have a theme of the lion and its prey. And then at the beginning we have Yahweh will punish Israel for its sins, uh, beginning with the word here. And it ends with Yahweh will punish Israel for its sins, beginning with the word here. Perfect symmetry. And in chapter 5, we have the, uh, which is the key chapter, we have the call to repentance, which at the center is a hymn of Yahweh's power, bracketed by condemnation of Israel's injustice on both sides, which is in turn is bracketed by a call to repentance, uh, seek me and live. And at the end, seek good, not evil, that you might live. And at the start, we have a lamentation over fallen Israel, and then a coming lamentation at the end. And then in 518 to 614, we have a center of the sevenfold woes, uh, 6, 1 through 6, bracketed by a threat of exile, which is bracketed by what Yahweh hates, which in the first case is self-righteous religious activity, and the latter, the pride of Israel and its strongholds. And then we have, uh, at the beginning and end, coming disaster. A reference by a poisonous snake. And at the end, a reference to poison. And at the end of 8.4 through 9.15, we have the fallen booth of David. At the center of that is a hymnic exclamation of seven lines. Bracketed by Yahweh's judgment, for which there's no escape. And at the end, righteous remnant uh, spared, uh, which is bracketed by Yahweh's punishment with no escape, and Yahweh will restore devastated Israel. And at the beginning, we have coming destruction of Israel by Yahweh. It's a sin involving agricultural products. Uh, and then the coming restoration by Yahweh, which will be a restoration of agricultural products. Uh, whenever you feel like could look at this uh, overview of Amos 1-2, God judges all the nations. Uh, this uh, uh, portion of Amos has a very highly structured um, uh, nature to it. Uh, at the top here, you see the, the eight uh, people groups or nations that uh, Amos uh, prophesied uh, about. Um Six of them include cities and strongholds specifically. All of them uh, contain the words, thus says Yahweh, and I will not revoke punishment. Um, and then there's grounds for punishment. Uh, these fall into two categories of general transgressions and specific transgressions. Then the first, the first uh, six foreign nations all are indicted for humanitarian crimes. But Judah and Israel are indicted for covenantal crimes, which is worse. In the specific transgressions, uh, you can pause the tape here if you want to go through these, or you can access this uh, on PDF from our, our website. Uh, but you can see here that there's a much longer list of specific transgressions against Israel uh, than against the others. 
Interestingly, uh, all are said to be consumed by fire, except for some reason Israel is not included in that. I'm not sure why. Uh, and then we have some specific punishments of exile, and the remnant will die in Syria and Philistia. And for Judah and Israel, uh, a remnant that we have a later revelation that they will not die out, uh, that they'll be restored. There's also a pairing of sins against brothers in Tyre and Edom, and sins against kings and princesses in Ammon and Moab. Uh, note here at the, at the bottom that um, as the seventh nation uh, condemned, the listeners to Amos might have thought, okay, so, uh, he's condemning Judah, this is great. Uh, and then he hits them with, at the end, the condemnation of themselves. Uh, and so this is an echo of for three transgressions, even for four, that add up to seven. Um, but then we have the eighth as the surprise. So uh, Ames went from Tekoa to Bethel, which is only about a one day's journey, as you can see here, from just south of uh, uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem to just across the border into Israel. Uh, Amos was one of only two prophets sent from Judah to Israel. Do you remember who the other one was that we studied earlier? It was the man of God from Judah in 1 Kings 13. The parallelism here is the role of the lion in both events. The lion of Judah roars in Bethel. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophecy? Amos 3.8. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? As the shepherd uh, rescues uh, from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. Amos 3.12 The lion roars from Zion. Amos 1.2 The lion's roar can be heard by humans for five miles. How much further would it be heard for animals with better hearing? And in Amos 5, 18, 19, we have uh, the day of the Lord. It's described as if a man fled from a lion. And then we have the appearance of Amaziah. Um, he shows up like a lion tamer, attempts to tame the lion Amos. By saying, oh seer, go away, prophecy elsewhere. <laughs> this is what the Lord cursed Israel for in Amos 2.12, for commanding the Lord's prophets not to prophecy. <laughs> it's interesting that Amaziah calls him a seer in several ways. A seer uh, is translated from the Hebrew word roe, and it, it rhymes with the word for lion, which is arye. So basically, Amaziah calls the Aryeh a roe. Uh, seer is used uh, most often in the Bible for uh, those who spoke for the Lord in the period of the judges. It was during the judges that, quote, every man did what was right in his own eyes, unquote. Uh, just like in Israel and Amos's time. You could say that they practiced what today is called situational ethics. Ethical behavior is not an absolute concept, 
but rather determined by each individual as they perceive their situation. Is this any different than our world today where autonomy reigns, every man a God in his own eyes? Proverbs 21, 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. The Israelites are like blind deaf people walking on a train track. All seems well for a while. Amos devours Amaziah with his prophecy in 717, calling him white, rather predicting uh, that his uh, wife would become a prostitute, his children die, and that he would face death in exile. So those who practice situational ethics and disdain God's absolute ethics will find themselves in the worst situation. And then we have this phrase for three transgressions and for four in Amos 1-2. Uh, it's the only book that uses this expression, which occurs eight times. And of course, three plus four equals seven, the number of completeness. God acts when sins reach their completeness. God told Abraham he was waiting to purge the land until the sin of the Amorites was made full. And Amos is issuing such a warning to Israel. Now, like Amos 5.4, which simply says, seek me and live. So challenge question for week 14, Amos preaches against injustice. How are Amos, Joel, and Obadiah related thematically? What significant phrase of four words is common to all three books? As always, uh, if you haven't subscribed, uh, please consider doing so on the YouTube channel. Uh, a quick like, uh, uh, please share with a friend, uh, add your comments, or e email us privately at info at BibleWinding.org. Uh, where, as I said, you can find our other materials. And now let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for the revelations of truth from the book of Amos, um, many of which are so applicable uh, to our uh, situation today. Um, uh, Help us this week, uh, 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 Lord, to recognize injustice, to fight against injustice, to speak out uh, against it. Um, and to, but to also rely on you for the final judgment of injustice and to still uh, love our enemies and uh, pray uh, for their repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>